before Noad comes up, we have a recitation of scripture by Nessia. Second Philippians two twelve through eighteen. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Do all things without complaining and disputing, that you, meet, that you may become blameless and harmless, children of God without fault, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. Yes, and if, and if I am, yes, and if I am, uh, if I am a, a drink offering, and if I am as a drink offering on the sac, and if I am being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. For the same reason, you also be glad and rejoice with me. Thank you for that, Nessia. There's an activity my family likes doing, <coughs> usually in the winter, and uh, that is uh, working on puzzles together. And I'm wondering, anybody else here likes working on puzzles? Okay, I see a few hands. Uh, why? Why do you like working on puzzles? Stimulating. I'm sorry? Stimulating. Stimulating. Okay, meaning the, uh, the exercise is made be mentally stimulating, trying to figure out which piece goes with what. Okay. Any, any other reason? Relaxing. Okay. I'm sorry? Challenging. Challenging. Yeah, it can be a challenge. That's good. Yeah. Especially when all the colors are all the same. Right. <laughs> That's very challenging. Yeah. Uh, anybody else? Any other reasons? Okay. So it can be a combined activity, right? So other people can contribute at the same time. That's good. Yeah, one of the things I enjoy doing is also just kind of seeing the picture come together. Right? A lot of time you start and you may have some idea of what it will look like because there's a picture in the box usually of what it will look like. But often as, as you put it together, it becomes, you get to appreciate more the picture. You get to see greater details, maybe uh, with greater vividness. And you just appreciate the beauty of the picture that you're putting together. Uh, with the puzzle. So that's maybe what we want to think about as we look at our passage today. Uh, Nessia recited it, recited it for us, but we'll go ahead and read it together as well. Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 through 18. Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 through 18. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, 
For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Do all things without complaining and disputing that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. Yes, and if I am being put out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. For the same reason, you also be glad and rejoice with me. When uh, we start the kids on puzzles, uh, we don't often start with the uh, 1,000-piece puzzle, right? That's, uh, that's a good uh, example of what our kids might use. Yeah, I see, Jania, that's about your level too? Okay. Um, yeah, those are good puzzles. Uh, and as you are able to solve the simpler puzzles, you can move on to the more complex puzzles, right? And uh, so Paul starts with really an encouragement here. Verse 12, he says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. So first he reminds them of the fact that they really have been doing a good job in following his instruction. This is not a church that has failed. This is a church that's generally been successful. They received the gospel. Uh, they've been supporting Paul in his ministry. They've been obeying or trying to obey God's word as best as they could. So Paul is encouraging them with that as he lays yet another commandment, if you would, upon them. You guys have a good track record. You've evidenced the ability of following God's commandment, and therefore I am laying this one upon you as well. Then he gives here what's really the major uh, instruction in this passage. He says, work out <coughs> your own salvation with fear and trembling. I remember being in a Bible study, going through the book of Philippians, and uh, one of the persons there objected strenuously at this verse because it sounded to them like it's saying that we have to work for our salvation. And, and we know as believers that can't be, right? Why not? Because it says so in the Bible. Ephesians 2, uh, 8 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourself, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. So it's very clear that we are not saved by works. We can't boast as if we earned our place in heaven. It was Christ's work and Christ's work alone that gives us a place in heaven. So we go back to the verse in Philippians 2 and try to understand what it's saying, we will notice it doesn't say work for your salvation. It says work out your own salvation. Work out your own salvation. What does that mean? Well, there's a couple of things it could mean, and this is from uh, Bill's commentary. Uh, first, it could be talking about 
uh, bringing out what God has set or, or prepared in our lives uh, for our salvation, bringing it out. Uh, an example of that could be found in Ephesians 4. So this is the same book where we're told that salvation is not of works. It says, uh, this I say therefore, so this is Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17. This I say therefore, and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanness with greediness, but you have not so learned Christ, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. So we understand that when God saves us, there's a number of things that happen. One of the things that happen is all my sins are forgiven. I am being imputed the righteousness of Christ. There is a place in heaven for me all at that moment. Another thing that happens is God creates a new person inside of me that reflects his own righteous character. But just because I have this new person in me doesn't mean that my life is immediately transformed. I also still have the old man or my previous, if you would, nature in me. And I'm still practicing, well, the moment I'm saved, I'm practicing a lot of the things in my old life that did not please God. And what Paul is saying, we need to change how we live. We need to take off the old man and we need to put on the new man. Now this is something that God has made already, but it's not yet evidence in my life. I don't know if, uh, so just to kind of fill you in on this, I prepared a, uh, a bunch of slides with nice pictures and all, but uh, we had technical difficulties and that those slides didn't make it over. So I, I, I gave Daniel a challenge. Daniel is the man behind the curtain today. Uh, I gave him a challenge, you know, if he can find his pictures as I'm preaching, you know, he gets the, the bonus today. Uh, so did you find a picture of a puzzle halfway being built? We'll see, see if uh, Daniel gets full credit today. All right. Uh, so in your mind's eye, uh, okay. Technical difficulties continue, right? Uh, our life, if you would, uh, is a puzzle being built, right? And as you add more pieces to the puzzle, you start seeing more and more of the picture. This particular puzzle doesn't have much of a picture, but often puzzles will have a picture and you can't quite see the picture until you add more and more pieces and then slowly the picture is coming out. So in a sense, that is what our life in Christ is like. 
Christ has given us the new man. He saved me from my sins, praise God. He has given me a new, the new man, but when I'm saved, my life doesn't resemble very much the life that God wants me to live. But slowly, as I am putting God's instruction, and particularly this one of taking off the old man, the old life, and putting on the new man, the new life God wants me to have, you can start seeing more and more clearly in my life, yes, this is the life of a believer in Jesus. This is the life of a Christian. This is what uh, ultimately Christ's life looked like, right? It's being put into pieces. So that's part, that could be one interpretation of what it means to work out your own salvation. I'm not earning my salvation, but I'm putting the work that Christ has put in me, I'm putting it out into the reality of my life. You're starting to see what is that new nature that Christ has given me by what my life looks like on the outside. It happens over time. It doesn't happen instantaneously when I'm being saved. Some changes might happen the moment I get saved. A lot of them will come into play over time. I'm working out my own salvation. I'm not saving myself. Jesus did that. I'm just kind of working it out, bringing it out into the open where people can see it. Another um, option Bill gives us as to the meaning of working out my own salvation, working out our own salvation is related to the, this one that I just gave, but that's dealing with a particular uh, issue in uh, that the Philippians church was struggling with. So the word salvation, usually we equate it to being saved from our sins. But the word salvation could be general. Uh, I might be walking on the street and, uh, you know, Janio sees that a car is about to hit me and he runs and pushes me out of the way and I'm saved. I was saved from being hit by a car. Right? So we could use the word salvation to mean being saved from other types of danger, not necessarily just the danger of eternal damnation. Right? So what's the danger that the, Ephesians, that the Philippians had? Well, we're kind of seeing it as we're going through the epistle. It becomes more obvious in the last chapter, but there's a problem of division in the church. Um, I think it was maybe David who first introduced us to that problem at the end of chapter one, or it may have been, uh, look, I forget, who preached that, uh, where he challenged them to stand fast in one spirit and with one mind, uh, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Who was the one who preached in that? It was David, okay. Right, and then I think last week we saw it again, David brought it to us, uh, in challenging the Philippians to imitate the example of Christ in humility and living for the benefit of others, the Philippians were not doing that, right? There seems to be an issue with pride, of selfishness, of conceit. And in chapter four, we see that it was leading to division in the church. So the Philippians church was starting to come apart in the seams. You know, we are, we're all believers in the Lord Jesus, but we're still sinners. And as a result, sometime we could offend one another. Sometime we think we're better than one another. Sometime we go our own direction and we, we're not concerned about the welfare of our brothers and sisters in Christ. And as a result, divisions develop in the church. So it could be that Paul is telling them here, work out your own salvation. He might be speaking about that. You guys need to work out this problem, right? You need to fix this problem. 
Now, he's not leaving them in the air to just guess how this ought to happen. He's given them instruction in the previous uh, portion about the example of Christ. Be the way that Jesus was. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. He gave them the formula. Jesus gave them the new man or the nature to allow them to do it. Now they need to put it into practice. Work out your own salvation. You guys need to engage the problem and apply the solutions that have been provided and work it out, fix the problem, using the resources that are available for you to do so. So that's a couple of, of possible interpretation of what it could mean to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Certainly does not talk about earning your salvation. Right? We cannot save ourselves from our sins. That's something Jesus did. But we can bring and apply what Jesus did in our lives so that others can see it and to solve our individual problems as Christian, Christians or as a church. Now he adds the word uh, with fear and trembling. Uh, I had a, a nice picture with, for that one. I, I don't think I gave quite enough instructions uh, to uh, Daniel to reproduce exactly what I had. But uh, uh, sometimes you see security people in, uh, in like art museums. Uh, Nick, why might there be a security person in an art museum? Right, to prevent valuables from being stolen or potentially uh, from being damaged, right? You know, you don't want someone drinking their coffee and over and going like, whoops, <laughs> excuse me, so you're gonna have to take that cup outside. Okay, we have to protect, right, this valuable piece of art that, that we have sitting in the museum. Could be worth a lot of money and we want other people to be able to enjoy it and not be damaged by you. And, and that's what I think about in this verse here where it says with fear and trembling, what art piece are we in danger of destroying if we don't take this exhortation to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling? Whose art are we at risk of destroying? Yeah, the Lord Jesus says art, good. Uh, Ephesians 2, verse 10 said, for we are his workmanship, if you want to substitute workmanship for a piece of art, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God did not save you because of your good works, but he did save you for you to do good works. He had a vision in, in, excuse me, I need to do something about this guy over here. <laughs> when, when, when Jesus saved you, he had a vision of what you would become like. I have a daughter that's an artist and she'll take a piece of paper and, you know, she'll put a line on it. And, you know, the line grows and grows and grows and maybe she'll add separate lines. Sometimes she'll just do a single line going throughout. And when she's done, it's a piece of art which I never could produce, right? And how does she do it? Well, she has a vision in her mind of what she wants to draw. She has, you know, the skill 
to bring that into being, and at the end, there is a piece of art. The same way the Lord Jesus, when he saved you, he had a vision in his mind of what your life would become. And just as we are careful and concerned about pieces of art in a museum, we should be careful and concerned with fear and trembling about the shape that our life is taken. taking, because that was the Lord Jesus who saved us to become that artwork. He had a purpose for you here and now. Right? So we understand, certainly he wants us to be in heaven with him, praise the Lord, but he also wants our life here and now to become an artwork, something that will display his glory. And we therefore are to approach this exhortation by, by Paul with fear and trembling. Paul continues in verse 14 saying, do all things without complaining and disputing that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as light in the world. When I do a puzzle, I cheat. And I use this. See if, if Daniel was able to find this one. What do I use? I use the picture on the cover, right? Now, I know people who will not. They'll, they'll take the cover, they'll put it aside, and they'll have just this jumble of pieces. And they don't know what picture is gonna come out, and they slowly, you know, will figure out how pieces fit together. It probably takes you 10 times as long, I would guess, to do a puzzle this way. But I don't, I cheat. I have the picture in my mind, okay, this is what it's supposed to look like, Okay, let's, let's see if the piece in my hand might look like anything in that picture, and that will guide me toward which part of the puzzle it's supposed to go, right? And uh, God recognizes that that's a help that we need, and so he gives us that, I'm sorry, this thing just, just will not die to death. I'm gonna have to uh, completely shut it down, I apologize. Usually I completely shut it down before I come up here, and that's why I ought to do it all the time. Um, what is the picture that we are given of what it is that our life is supposed to look like? What is the picture that we are given? Well, we were given it in this passage, right? It says, do all things without complaining and disputing, that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault. Right, so that's, that is a description of it, but really we have that ultimate description for us in the Lord Jesus. Romans 8, 28 and 29 say, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. So we're, we're happy to know that God is working all things for our good, right? That's something we're really happy about. But we often don't think, what is that good that God is working toward? Well, this passage 
tells us it's to be conformed to the image of his son. God saved you and is working in your life for the purpose that you will become like the Lord Jesus. That is the picture on the puzzle. That is what your life and my life is supposed to resemble when God is done working with us. We should look like the Lord Jesus. We're not talking about his physical appearance. We're talking about his character. For example, here it says that we ought to do all things without complaining and disputing. What does it say about the Lord Jesus? In John 8, 29, he said, and he who sent me is with me. The Father has not left me alone, for I always do those things that please him. The Father has not left me alone, for I always do those things that please him. Did Jesus do all things that God wanted him to do? He did. Did he do them without complaining and disputing? He did. You know, those two are not exactly the same things. I have children. I love my children dearly. And I will occasionally ask my children to do something. And uh, it's good if they do what I ask them to do. But it's better if they do what I ask them to do without disputing and complaining. <laughs> right? I mean, it takes away out of it as, as a father. Any, any joy that I might have received from my children doing something I asked them to do, and I'm not asking them to do things that are too difficult for them or bad for them, uh, but any joy I could have from it goes away when they're complaining and disputing <laughs> in the process of doing it. And all that God is saying here is he wants us to be the way we would like our children to be. When he asks us to do something, he wants us to do it without complaining and disputing. It's not difficult to understand. It might be difficult to do. But that is what God has in mind for us. That is the picture on the puzzle. That is God's goal for your life in mind, is to do all things that God tells us in his word he wants us to do it, and to do it without disputing and complaining. In the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, one of the difficulties we have in following God's example is we have so many uh, poor examples around us. We live in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. Is the world around us filled with people who are doing everything God wants them to do and they do it without complaining and disputing? No. In fact, I challenge you to find one other than the Lord Jesus who really did that. And so we have the negative example all around us, but God tells us don't use the pattern of this world. Don't use the example you see around you of how people are behaving. Don't justify your action while so-and-so is doing it, and therefore I should be able to do it too. But look at the Lord Jesus as your example, the one that you need to follow.
In this verse, we also have God's, one of God's goals for us in uh, completing the puzzle uh, for him, or rather completing the puzzle of our life, working out our own salvation, is so that we could uh, shine as lights in the world. Jesus was a light to the world. The Bible says that in him was life, and the life was the light of men. I think there's different ways in which this verse could be understood. The way I understand it is Jesus lived the perfect life. And as a result, he was a light to the world. They could look at Jesus and see, oh, that is what God expects man to be. Right? You could look all around, whether now or 2,000 years ago, and the world is so messed up that people have almost no idea of what God is expecting out of them. Right? They had his word, but even his word they managed to twist and change it into something other than what it was. And that's how you had the Pharisees, people who claimed to be very religious and did a lot of religious things, but did not resemble God at all, right? They did not show mercy or compassion to people. Everything became legalism and trying to show off to others how religious you were. But then Jesus came and he was the perfect embodiment of what God wanted man to be. He was perfectly obedient to God, and he was perfectly loving to people. Last week, we looked at his perfect humility, right? And that is what God is expecting from you and from me. How could people know that? When they saw the Lord Jesus, they could. There goes a righteous man. This is what God really wants from us. And you know what that does to us? It shows me that I am a sinner. Right? when I look at the Lord Jesus' life. You know what God wants to do with your life? He wants your life to show the same thing that Jesus' life showed to the world around him. That's what he means when he says that we, become, we shine as lights in the world. Jesus said this to us on the mount. He said, you are the light of the world. He was speaking to his disciples. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. God wants his light to shine out of our lives. And that only happens when we, if you would, work out our own salvation so that the life of Christ is evidenced in our lives. Now, it doesn't mean we can't share the gospel with people. Sure, we can share with them. But, you know, if your life doesn't resemble the life of the Lord Jesus, people will question what you say, right? They'll say, you know, you can talk the talk, but can you walk the walk? Right? They want to see evidence. And really, a picture, people say, is worth a thousand words. And if they are not convicted of their sins, the gospel is not going to mean much to them. And one of the most effective ways God 
convicts people of the sin is by seeing an example of what it is God wants them to be. And they can see that example when they look at your life and my life when we are imitators of the Lord Jesus and reflect his character in our lives. What's the key to our success? Verse 16, holding fast the word of life. Let's see how Daniel did on this one. All right. Um, okay. I guess that kind of works. So let me tell you what I had in mind, and then we can criticize Daniel together. Oh, there you go. That's actually better. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> um, so we kind of have a joke in our, in our family. Um, but when you put a puzzle together, sometimes a piece might look like it almost fits. It has the right general shape. It may even have the right general puzzle, but it's not the right piece, right? And if you try to put it in, it won't go in, right? Unless you push hard, and then it'll go in. <laughs> but it's the wrong puzzle piece. It doesn't go there. And uh, we have the risk of sometime doing that in our lives. There may be something that's not really part of God's plan to our lives, but we're tempted, right? We see other people in the world practicing something, and we say, well, why not me? And we find a way to try to make it fit with God's will, right? We say, well, you know, you know this may be not ideal, but it kind of sounds like what this verse is saying, and so I think that's good enough, right? We find a way of justifying uh, something. And that's failing to do what this, word, this verse says, holding fast the word of life. How, how can we tell that something doesn't fit? Well, I think it's by knowing the word of God. If you really study the word of God and you understand what the word of God means, both in context, right? So if somebody gives you a verse uh, or you choose a verse that you think excuses you and allows you to do something that you probably know you shouldn't be doing, it doesn't quite fit, uh, you could look at it more in context and you'll see, you know, that's not what this verse really is talking about. Right? This is not really what God wants me to do. Or having a broader understanding of the word of God, you'd be able to say, you know what? What I'm interpreting this verse to say doesn't fit with what it says here in the Bible. So there's got to be something wrong with that verse. And the more sensitive you are, the better you can be in excluding out of your life pieces that don't really belong in your life. Some puzzles are tricky. You know, the piece kind of goes in and it kind of looks right. Some puzzles are really well designed and it's just not going to fit at all. Right? But uh, they... they uh, better you want your life to resemble that of the Lord Jesus, the more sensitive you need to be to his word. To know, really, is that really what God's word is saying? Is that really what God's word is saying? And something we can do to help ourselves as we go through that is something that Nessia illustrated for us earlier today. Psalm 119.11 says, Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. So it's good to read the Bible, 
to read the Bible every day, have, have devotional times every day. And it's, uh, it's even better if, to put God's word in our hearts. Uh, we used to really have a, a challenge out for people to say memory works. I remember Joanna being up here, or maybe it was in the B Street building, reciting uh, First John, a whole book, five chapters to us, right? And I think that's when you were a little bit older than when Nessia is now, right? <laughs> so, I mean, you can't just excuse and say, well, yeah, children, they can memorize stuff really easily. No, we could memorize things when we're older in life, too, if we're willing to put the work into it. And uh, the psalmist certainly thought it was worth it. If this would help me stay pure and not sin against God, I will put your word in my heart. All right, finally, we close this section with a promise of reward. Paul says, So that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. Yes, and if I am being put out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. For the same reason, you also be glad and rejoice with me. Sometime we uh, appreciate a puzzle that we do so much that uh, we don't uh, want to crumple it up and put it back in the box when we are done. And uh, we just, we just want to put it up. Right? It's not often that, that uh, I've done something like that, but there's been occasion where a puzzle went on the wall. And uh, it's a way of saying it just, it was, it's just so beautiful. It's just such a, a good work. I just like it so much. I don't want to undo what I did. In uh, Malachi chapter 3, we have uh, a picture of that, I think, Malachi chapter 3, starting in verse 13. It'll take us a while to get the context, so we're going to spend a little bit of time on this passage. Uh, God is speaking here through Malachi to the Jews, particularly, I think, to the priests in uh, the temple. And he says, Your words have been harsh against me, says the Lord. Yet you say, What have we spoken against you? You have said it is useless to serve God. What profit is it that we have kept his ordinance and that we have walked as mourners before the Lord of hosts? So now we call the proud blessed for those who do wickedness are raised up. They even tempt God and go free. What is the accusation that the priests were laying against the Lord? And that was that it was useless for them to live a life that was honoring God. They said, no, 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 it's the wicked one that prosper. Those who are faithful to God suffer. They walk about as mourners. And I think that is something that people could see in the world today. You might look, where are the people who are most successful? Where are the people who seem to have the most fun? Do we find them among the followers of God 
Or do we find them among the people who are out in the world who have no concern for God and his righteousness? And I think very often people say, you know, it looks like it's the people who are not following God that are doing well and are having all the fun, right? And that's effectively the accusation that the priests were making against God, or at least they were saying it. They didn't think they were saying it against God, but God was listening. And God said, your words have been harsh against me. It hurts. It hurts to see you say these things, to believe, to suggest that following me has no value, right? That's, that was what bothered God, the suggestion that following him had no value, no benefit. Verse 16, again in Malachi chapter three, then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another and the Lord listened and heard them. So a book of remembrance was written before him for those who fear the Lord and who meditate on his name. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, on the day that I make them my jewels. And I will spare them as a man spares his own son who serves him. Then you shall again discern between the righteous and the wicked, between the one who serves God and the one who does not serve him. Main point of the passage is one day it will become evident which are the lives that God is pleased with. Why? Because he's saving the picture. And he's going to put it on his wall and say, this was a life that I was well pleased with. Actually, that's not what he says. He says, I will make them my jewels, which means we'll be even closer to God. Like the jewels a person puts on because he is so pleased with their lives. He is so pleased with the life that's lived for him. It's precious to God. He will not let it go to waste. Everything you do in your life for the Lord Jesus is recorded in his book. It's precious to God. And he saves it and he conserves it and he will put it on display. It will not be forgotten. In Ephesians chapter 2, just preceding the verses we read, we read earlier, it speaks of us saying that, that Jesus has raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Effectively, it's saying the same thing. Your life will become a display of the grace of God. We're not saying that this is something that we have earned. We're not going to say that it's because I'm so good that I am here, that I'm in heaven, that my life is a display of God's grace because it's a display of God's grace. We said that earlier today. Paul said of himself, I am the chief of sinners. There's nothing about me that deserves the place that I have. But God put out his grace upon me. God put out his grace upon us. He saved us from our sins, not just from the penalty from our sins, but from the power of sin. He gave us a new nature, an ability of living a life that reflects the glory of Christ. And as we live that life, he wants to put it on display. 
because it shows his glory, it shows his character, the character of his son. What God is well pleased with, mercy and kindness and love, righteousness, holiness. All of these things are beautiful in the sight of God and they are, as much as we're willing to work them into our lives, working out our own salvation, it becomes more and more of that beautiful display that God wants to save for eternity. And he will. And that's the reward of living all out for him because he saves it he finds it precious, and he wants to put it on display in heaven. Let's praise him. Father, we thank you for your goodness. We realize that uh, we are a product of your grace, saved by grace, Lord, not of works. And yet we read in your word that you want us to work out our own salvation so that you could be glorified in our lives. So we pray, Lord, that you help us do so. We recognize it's God who works in us both to will and to do for his good pleasure. And we say, Lord, work in our lives. Make us the jewels that you want us to be so that you could be uh, glorified through our lives in heaven. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.